It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96FM. Oh, what a busy, busy morning. Not one we didn't see coming. We were warned that this might happen. We were warned on two fronts. We were warned about Ryanair, that what they've just announced might happen. And we were warned that we could have more restrictions. I want to hear later in the morning what you think about this. No visitors will be allowed to homes or gardens, although exemptions like providing care will be allowed Okay, that is coming up later on, the latest upgrade, as it were, in our restrictions. But we have a huge breaking story on the opinion line to kick us off, and that is Ryanair pulling their base from Cork Airport for the winter. 1850-715-996 is the number that takes to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96mm.ie. There was an interview that we broadcast here uh, from uh, Eddie Wilson of Ryanair during the summer and that interview conducted by our own Fiona Corker and she joins me now. Fiona, good morning. Good morning, Peter. Eddie Wilson warned that this would happen, didn't he? He did. Eddie Wilson was at Cork Airport a couple of weeks ago and he had a briefing with management of the airport and local politicians and senators and he was very direct in his um, speech that time. He said that unless the government here adopted the EU uh, traffic light system for travel and unless they brought in rapid testing at airports that Ryanair would have no other choice than to close its bases at Cork and Shannon Airport and um, they again issued that threat um, last week and this week now they have announced that decision that they are going to uh, close the bases for the winter months and um, I sent you a clip there PJ and it's just, it'll show the anger that was in Eddie Wilson's voice that day and how critical he was of the government's handling of the airline industry since this pandemic began The government wasted the entire summer here and did nothing uh, in terms of travel, and now we're up against it for the winter schedule and the summer schedule. And testing is 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 a part of that. If you recall, Ryanair was the 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 party that was calling for the uh, masks back in April, and we were fobbed off about that. And now it took until the tenth of August for the government to adopt that. Yeah, he you was know? pretty so much we saying we told you what to do. He was, and you know, the government did. Um, the the EU 
traffic light system, uh, the government did make a commitment to adopt that. But I suppose looking for Ryanair, looking forward at uh, their their schedules, I mean, they had absolutely no bookings for the month of November um, and maybe they were looking at a few around Christmas time, but it just wasn't financially viable for them. And I suppose the big thing then was the fact that the the testing system that they had been calling for hasn't really been brought in here yet. Um, but I think, PJ, as well, I mean, we the the announcement today that they're closing for the winter wasn't unexpected, but I suppose now the, the worry is what's going to happen next year. Um, at that briefing, Eddie Wilson told me that um, you know, at the start of the winter, they're looking ahead to next summer, and you know they were already operating 23 flights out of Cork Airport. So they were looking at them. They were looking at which flights they were going to be able to maintain. Would they be able to add additional flights? And now, because they're closed for the winter months, he said that they have no plan in place for next year. Now, uh, Minister Simon Coveney has come out this morning and said that. Um, Ryanair have confirmed to him this morning that um, it's a temporary closure it's just for the winter months but there is that concern and Cork Chamber of Commerce have excuse me have issued a statement this morning um, also echoing that saying that they're concerned about what this will mean for the future at Cork Airport um, so uh, you know, and it's obviously this this decision now has a direct impact on the jobs at Cork Airport and the staff that were employed by Ryanair at Cork Airport. But it has wide-reaching effects mm. on the entire region. And I sent you another clip there yeah. of Eddie Wilson just explaining the impact it's going to have on Cork. We have 80 direct jobs here in Cork. You have um, up to 12,000 indirect jobs. But what we are making decisions, we should be making decisions weeks ago on what next summer is going to be like. If the aircraft go this winter and we don't make our plans for next summer, then there is nobody coming here unless they come here by canoe. Um, there's no way of getting to Ireland and to this part of the country except by air and there will be nobody in the hotels and the tourism industry here is going to be in collapse next summer. That's stark. But Fiona, just in terms of the immediate impact on, on travel in and out of Cork Airport, if we could, let's imagine that we mm. could, like, will there be any flights going now from Ryanair over the winter? What is the story? Um, no, I think that they're they're gone now from Cork. I think they will have some flights from Dublin. So obviously they're gone from Cork and Shannon. Um, and Aer Lingus will have their flights. Um, I think they have a couple of flights to London um, every week going from Cork. So it's not like there'd be absolutely no flights out of Cork Airport, but I think just for the winter. Now, I have to just get that confirmed, but from my understanding, it's that all flights now are gone. And does this even um, mean the Stansted link, the daily Stansted link? Is that gone? I'm not 100% sure about that, PJ. Yeah. We'll have to look into it because obviously this is a breaking news story this morning. But um, I think so, yeah. Wow. I think that they've just... And it's not just Cork for... Uh, you know, they've, they've cut um, uh, their bases across Europe. Um, they've they've uh, closed their base in Toulouse in France and um, they've also made significant cuts in Belgium, Germany, Spain, Portugal and Vienna. Mm. So it's not just um, here in Cork where they've made this decision. It's all over. And I suppose it's just a reflection of what's actually happening with the airline industry. And that's bear in mind, it's one of the richest airlines in the Northern Hemisphere. These guys have yeah. a massive, massive war chest. But I mean, PJ, like, if there's no point in um, running airlines that are empty, yeah. you know, and Eddie did say that at the briefing as well. He was like, they were running planes there back and forth um, across Europe and there was nobody on them. So it doesn't really make any sense. And now with... You know, I suppose this second wave has hit right across Europe. So people, a lot of people are reluctant to fly at the minute. And I know that some people still need to fly for work. But, you know, in terms of tourism, 
I mean, that industry here in Ireland is just decimated at the minute anyway. Um, and I was talking to Fergal Hart over at the Kingsley Hotel yesterday. He's the chairperson of the corp branch of the IHF. Mm-hmm. And he said that, you know, at the minute they're completely relying on people in Cork going on holidays to hotels in Cork and that's where their business is and he said that um, under the current level 3 restrictions they did a survey and 25% of hotels are actually closed and um, you heard even in the piece yesterday that I did with um, the Court McSherry Hotel like they've closed for the, the three weeks of the level three restrictions because it's said, they said it's just not financially viable for them to remain open. Yeah. So without the tourism coming into Cork, it's just, you know, it has such a massive effect on hotels, B&Bs, guest, house, guest houses all across Cork and on, you know, restaurants, cafes, bars, when, when they do get to reopen again. And it's just, it's quite stark and it's quite a grim picture for the winter. And we just have to hope, I suppose now, I mean, we have to accept that this is the way it is for the winter, but we just have to hope that in the summer months, Ryanair will be able to come back and that we will have traffic coming in and out of Cork Airport and tourists coming here to the region. Because a simple thing, like even if we do get flying again next summer and people want to start booking their holiday flights, they won't be able to because there'll be no operation at the airport and there'll be no schedule mm-hmm. up. So it's going to cause all sorts of problems. Fiona, I leave it there with you for now. If you could can get any more information on say the things like the Stansted flight and the regular flights to the UK that run at the moment you might come back to us on that thank you that's our senior news correspondent Fiona Corcoran we just do want to clarify that like this closing of the Ryanair base for the winter does that mean the Stansted flight is gone does that mean the regular flights to the UK cities are gone or does it just mean the extra flights that would run in the winter time are they gone we need to find that out for certain Let's go to the hotels. Um, Eddie Wilson was talking about hotels. Fiona talking about hotels. Carmel Longren is at the Cork International Hotel, general manager there. Hi, Carmel. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. We saw this coming, but it doesn't make it any easier to listen to it. No, it's absolutely devastating. It's, it's. I suppose it's, it's, it's a shock, but it's not a shock in the same sense. Um, absolutely devastated for all the team working in the airport, Neil, Kevin, and all the team there, but. Um, as uh, Fiona said and Eddie Wilson said, there is 12,000 jobs impacted by this and it's going to have a long-reaching effect on everybody and what's to come in the next six months at least. Because hotels like yourself, right up there at the airport, you're yeah, planning is, months yeah. ahead. We're planning months ahead and obviously that's very difficult in the current restrictions that we have and the levels and the constant changes. But we had two hotels at the airport. One of them hasn't reopened since it closed back in March. Yeah. Um, and we're we're just barely hanging in there by a thread. So it, this today now, it just kind of, it, it's another knock. It's a huge knock for us and all the hotels because the airport has done fantastic work. I've been here 13 years at the airport and I've seen it come out of the recession and build their base business. And they've done huge amounts of work for Cork and the region, both for corporates and for tourism. Um, we just don't know what's going to happen now and really how that that's going to affect people coming into Cork, going to work in Cork. Um, tourism is a tough one at the moment, but that corporate business coming to Cork, Cork is absolutely vital for us. Do, do you know, Carmel, again, you'd be closer to it than, than mm-hmm. the rest of us. Do you know if this closure affects the, the regular commuter routes like the, the, the London Stansted? Um, like Fiona said, we're still not fully clear. Um, the fact that they say that they're going removing a base, it, it would mean to me that they're pulling all the flights. Um, I do know there is some traffic on the Sunset flight. It would be one of the most popular ones. Today alone, there was six Ryanair flights and two other flights. So for that to go, it literally will be just two flights coming in out of Cork. 
um, on a regular basis. So yeah. it's it's very tough to see that. Okay. All right, Carmel, leave it there. Hope we can clarify that situation maybe during the morning or at some point someone who's better connected than us uh, and we're pretty well connected can find out for sure. Does that mean the Stansted flight is gone for the winter? Like that's that's a that's a global connection. That's Ireland or Cork's global connection because you can go to Stansted and then on to half the world from there. So it's huge. If, if that flight is gone as part of this, we're in serious trouble. Stansted remains, I'm being told. Thank you, Terry. Uh, Stansted will remain. That's okay. That flight is staying, but pretty much everything. We'll try and get a list or try and organize a list or some indication of what will be gone and what will stay. Michael Mulcahy says, there's no flights at all during winter, as my understanding of a base closure is. It's not the same as stopping flights. Ryanair have clearly shown in Las Palmas and elsewhere where bases are closed. Okay, thank you, Terry. Uh, Despite the base closure, Ryanair will still retain three routes serving Cork over the winter. Stansted, Katowice and Gdansk. They will be operated by aircraft and staff based outside of Ireland. Thank you. So, Stansted will remain and so will Katowice and Gdansk in Poland, which are two very popular flights. Okay, that's a little bit more information than we already had. 1850-715-996. But as Eddie Wilson, he warned, he warned back in the summertime that this was going to happen. We would hope that they would adopt the European Union's uh, uh, rules on uh, movement of people and air travel and uh, public health. Uh, There's no reason for it to be different. And unfortunately, that's going to have, if they... If they um, don't adopt that, it's going to be very bad news for Cork uh, in terms of the closure of the base. And I can't get across the seriousness of, of, of what this is. If, if, if these flights go, uh, it's going to be very difficult to bring them back. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmery Mall and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10 with Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do. On Quartz 96 FM. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. I'll get your thoughts on the fact that from tonight you're not allowed to visit anybody in their house. I'll get your thoughts on that later on in the morning. But we are covering the breaking story, the breaking news this morning that Ryanair is closing, as they said they would, closing their Cork Airport base for the winter. Now, there will be a number of flights retained. The regular Stansted connection will be retained and two flights to Poland, Gdansk and Katowice. They will both be retained. But everything else looks like it's gone for the winter. Uh, and it's it's a huge story. Ryanair are leaving a sinking ship, says Kate, pulling out of Cork Airport. I can't understand why the businesses in Cork don't form a lobby group and protest vociferously. No airport, no business. Uh, you have a lot of families living abroad and vice versa who'll have to go to Dublin now to see family, etc. With Ryanair closing the Cork base, the Irish government have ruined this country. 
Kevin says Michal Martin can't believe his luck lockdown for everything else schools and factories knocked off the front pages by Ryanair well we'll be getting to it we'll be getting to it Donica O'Leary Sinn Féin TD for Cork South Central Donica we were warned that this would happen good morning good morning PJ yeah look I mean it's absolutely devastating news I think particularly uh, for the workers for their families for the airport but for the city and the region as a whole um, I suppose we spoke previously, PJ, and I made the point that we all know that international air travel isn't going to go back to the usual levels anytime soon. Um, but what we're looking at now is basically, you know, less flights going in and out of Cork Airport than any time in my lifetime and probably even for a distance before that. Um, we know that we will still need air travel uh, into the future when all this is over, or when we can get back to some kind of normality. And Cork, if we have the ambition for it that we should have, to be the fastest growing city in the island, um, to be uh, a a counterbalance to Dublin, then it needs international connectivity. And this is a very serious threat to the future of that, I believe. Um, You know, air travel is, obviously enough, it's a very mobile industry. You know, like, I mean, it's not like a factory. You know, any airline can take their airplanes away. They can base them somewhere else. And that's what's happening here. The, The danger is is whether we're going to be able to get them back. So, like, I mean, I'll be raising it in the doll this afternoon, uh, or at least I'll be, I've submitted a, a request for a debate, and I'll be hoping that it gets selected. Mm. Um, and I'll be hoping to have the opportunity to make the point that government needs to do whatever it can now to salvage these jobs, um, which are the first priority for me, the, the, the workers and their families. And if that's not possible, if it's not possible to achieve anything like that, and I, I wouldn't give up hope on that just yet, then we need to ensure that as soon as possible um, that a base is restored in Cork uh, because we need it. Like, I mean, the, the number of flights that's going to be coming in and out of Cork every week is going to be very, very limited. Mm. You'd wonder if the viability of the airport is put in doubt by this, realistically. Well, look, I mean... I know that enormous work has been done over the last 10 to 15 years by um, by the management of Cork Airport, by Neil McCarthy and his team, and indeed by others, including the, the workers and the, the unions there who've, who've worked very hard. Um, I think, you know, and, and it wasn't that long ago that the, the story in relation to Cork Airport was negative, but I think that's, you know, improved significantly in recent years. I think that they turned um, both the reality and the perception mm. around that. Um, and I think it, it was really it was really going well as an airport. So I would hope that this isn't that kind of threat. But like I mean, we have to take it very very seriously. There is still a threat from Aer Lingus. I I hope that that can be resolved. Um, I think you're dealing with straighter operators too. I would say that. Like I mean, I don't think Ryanair are blameless here. Um, I would say that. Like I mean, I think why not? Well, like I mean, they're making the main... a commercial decision as a commercial entity. I mean, I'm not standing up for them, but they owe us nothing. Yeah, well, no, well, like, I mean, I appreciate that and there are, and I can come back to the to the failings of government in a second, but, like, I mean, the main test that they set was the traffic light system, and that was adopted, so, like, I mean, you know, they set a test and they decided that they wanted to depart anyway, so, like, I mean, I don't think that's great now, to be honest with you, I don't think it's great for, for the people who work for them, and I don't think it's great for Cork, but, look, you know, People know what's right there, what they're dealing with, and I suppose yes, they're a commercial operator and they have their own interests and all that. But like, mm. I, mean, I do think that they, if they were going to set that as their test, then when that was met, they should have stuck to it. Presum- um, presumably, what that, what they're doing is they're making sure that when and if, but when all of this pandemic is gone and we're finally able to deal with it, that they'll actually have a business left because 
there'll only be half the aviation industry globally that there is now. So maybe they're taking precautions to make sure they survive. Yeah, well, look, I mean, as I say, there's plenty of, I suppose, there's, uh, there's plenty of other issues as well. Like, I mean, and, uh, like in terms of Ryanair, like, I mean, I think that there were legitimate issues raised around testing. But, like, I mean, I suppose the point I'm making is if you're going to set... If you're going to set a line, then I think you should you should stick to that. If that's if that wasn't going to be enough for them, they they should have said that in the first place. Um, that would be my view. There are significant issues around testing, and like I mean, look, I do think there is a fair point that months and months were lost over the summer. There was you had a new government, and you know they obviously weren't keen on what the aviation task force had outlined, but they didn't bring anything forward themselves. They they were slow to implement clearance transfer, and you have this huge issue around testing. Um, we all know that that is a key ingredient to to making sure whatever amount of air travel is going to be mm. happening over the next while. And we know that's not going to be at normal levels, but whatever is going to be happening to make sure that that is safe uh, and to make sure that that is manageable and that people have confidence in it. Testing is an essential part of that. We just haven't cracked that. We okay. haven't come even close to cracking that. And that is the issue that now needs to be addressed very urgently. Um, I know that the, the Transport Committee is, I think it's meeting today, the air office we supported, along with many others, and the airports coming in, that that would be the first issue that would be discussed by the Transport Committee and the air office. I think it's meeting again today. They are examining the future of aviation. The whole issue of testing needs to be cracked now. Um, I think the point, the proposal has been made by um, Senator Jerry Bonner on the Aviation Task Force reconvening. I think that, that is a good idea. Um, I think that that is something that should happen because there are clearly significant issues uh, in aviation in Ireland. Okay. But like, look, as I say, the main concern that I have right now is for the workers and oh, yeah. for their families. And I do think whatever can be done to salvage their jobs uh, must be done at this point. All right, leave it there for now. Donica O'Leary, uh, Sinn Féin, TD for Cork South Central. Thank you. 1850 We'll come back to this if we hear any more about it during the morning. So Ryanair gone from Cork for the winter with the exception of Stansted, Katowice and Gdansk. Everything else, gone. Nada. Kaput for the winter. Whether they'll be back in the summer, nobody knows. 1850-715-996. Next, this. No visitors will be allowed to homes or gardens, although exemptions like providing care will be allowed and this will be made clear. In outdoor settings away from home and garden, up to six people from no more than two households can meet outdoors while maintaining social distancing. Restrictions level three plus. Next. It's huge. Oh, what with the goalkeeper? Oh, what a goal! It's historic. Champions of England, Liverpool. And it's here. What a free kick from Kevin De Bruyne. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie as we bring you the Premier League live exclusively online. This Saturday, it's Everton versus Liverpool at 12.30, Chelsea versus Southampton at 3, Man City versus Arsenal at 5.30, and Newcastle versus Man United at 8. Go, go. The Premier League Live Online, powered by TalkSport. Listen every Saturday by downloading the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. 
Bear in mind, it might not be the end of it, what Micheál Martin announced last night, because Neff had a meeting again today for the regular weekly meeting. But as of tonight, you can't go to visit anyone in their own home. That's banned. Visits to visits to other people's homes are gone. Not one, not two, not three, none. You can't do it. Unless, of course, you've got exceptional circumstances like childcare or minding an elderly relative or taking care of someone. There are some exceptions. We'll get a list of those if they're not published already. But all household visits banned as of tonight as we step up stage three. Uh, Professor Jared Clean uh, joins me again on the Opinion Line. Jared, good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. Uh, three and a bit, four, five. I think you've been saying for a long time, we just need to bite the bullet and, and go down, go hard and lock down. Yeah, well, you know, as long as it's to an end point and it fits into a strategy and there's a plan. You know, lockdowns are not an end in themselves. I can show you systematic reviews from 2008 relating to the flu saying you, you can't sustain them. And um, you know, they're not sustainable, so you've got to use them. But you've got to, you know, you've got to maintain the ground that you gain. And I um, know one thing I'm really thrilled about is that the budget we got goes a long way to, to laying the groundwork for um, for an elimination plan. It's it's doable now. Whereas I really I lost a lot of sleep. If that budget had been wrong, you know, there's nothing that the public health people can do. You were happy with that budget then? Uh, yeah, of course. There's always things that need improvement and whatnot, but. Um, it's an opportunity we didn't miss. It addresses a lot of the economic vulnerabilities. It means we can afford to um, kind of hibernate the economy and, you know, it can, it'll still wake up. But, uh, of course, we can't do that forever. So we have to use that time. Yeah. And because um, otherwise this goes on for a long time. I spoke to your friend, Dr. Niall Conroy, in Queensland a week and a half ago in a very enlightening conversation we had about how they've actually done it down there. They've actually got it down to pretty much zero in Queensland and in most of Australia, with the exception of, of Melbourne, which and they're, and they're almost there. But what he made the point was, we're not doing public health properly in this country. Are, is there enough in the budget to give public health the resources and the power it needs? Uh, if, you know, the devil is in the detail that depends on how it gets channeled. But yes, there is. We only have 60 uh, public health physicians in the country. You know, these are really, you know, what we need is A-teams. And we, you know, we've got to do two, two things. We've got to make sure they're fully empowered, fully resourced. There's not many of them. And then we have to be realistic about what we can expect them to to deal with. You know, there's um, you can't set the whole country on fire and then call the fire brigade. Uh, we need to give them a manageable job. And because COVID is exceptionally difficult to do contact tracing on um, to fully contain outbreaks. We need to make sure it's a small number of outbreaks at any given time so these folks can really throw the kitchen sink at these things. And um, yeah, the stories from Australia are great. I was with my ISAC colleagues, I was privileged to enjoy an hour uh, with the Chief Health Officer of Victoria. And, you know, the things they're doing technically are, are just wonderful, but what I found very encouraging is that a lot of the political obstacles that we face here they've been, they've been through all that and they're still going through that you know they've they've had um difficulties with with the press that belongs to the private sector they've had difficulties with um kind of uh people making political capital out of the issue they've had all those things um and you know, at this stage, rural Victoria is basically COVID-free. It's yeah. just Melbourne that needs to follow suit. And then once they're there, all of Australia is there. Yeah. And in practice, Australia is run very much like the European Union. 
you know, each state has its own health department, its own chief health officer, and they negotiate borders in the same way that neighbouring states in the European Union do. Yeah. And, and currently the COVID border of um, New South Wales is actually 70 kilometres north into Victoria, um, you know, so that because it's COVID-free and so that people can kind of yeah. join up the dots in terms of travel. Border control is, is border control there and it's, and it's very strict and I guess they say it, it has to be for the for the foreseeable. Jerry, just in terms of where we are going now, uh, heading into the winter, you, you got into a, a discussion with um, Michael McDool on Virgin Media last night and it got heated at times about his attitude was going for elimination is economic suicide. That's effectively what he was saying, economic suicide for elimination. And he also was making the point, I think at least that's how I interpret him, that we're, we don't need to do it, that we're grand as we are. Well, I, I think he's technically uninformed. Um, you know, if, if, if my numbers are wrong or any of the things that uh, I've stated and, you know, based on not just my own knowledge, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not shy about deferring to people who are smarter than I am and reading as much of the international literature as I can. If we're all wrong, then somebody I'd like somebody to tell me why we're wrong. You know, um, I'm... You know, there's a whole planet full of people like myself. We're all jumping up and down. Um, we've all done our maths. All my maths are out there in the public domain. Anybody could, you know, read them, query them, question them. Same is true of all the literature that I'm, I'm, I'm quoting at people. So uh, we need to get away from wishful thinking. And we need to look this thing in the eye. And and if we don't, you know, we're going to get what we deserve. Are we in... Are, we had an unseemly row there two weeks ago between the government and, 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 and Neffet. And that relationship is changed now. Whether it can be repaired, one doesn't know. Who was right two weeks ago, Neffet or Leo Varadkar or Michal Martin? <laughs> doesn't really matter. I, I think, you know, we've had enough political distractions. And, and what we need to start doing is making technical decisions. Um, I think you know what my views are. Mm. The, and I, you know, every time somebody gets into who said this, who said that, really, um, we've got to move beyond that. And mm. we've just got to look at the issue, make the right decisions, and 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 have something to look forward to. That's the whole you know, point. I think we all need some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And we also need to get off the back foot and go on the front foot and really... You know, at mm. least get that fire in our belly about going after this virus. And I have a Facebook friend who's Australian, and last week was going on about being back to normal in Brisbane. And I thought, God, we we, we need we need to get there. Jerry, question come in, and I've been reading a bit about this about this PCR test, which they say is the gold standard, but. Some very technical emails coming in about the, the the level of PCR testing and false positives and false negatives and and is it is it actually too sensitive? Is it picking up false positives and stuff like that? Uh, well, false positives are a, a small problem uh, at this stage of the game. You know, I, I'd much rather have a false positive than a false negative. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect test in the realm of public health. This one's pretty good. And the turnaround times, you know, they're not 100% consistent, but they're not bad, all things considered. So, you know, I mean, yeah, all those imperfections are there. But as a public health person who's used to being in the field and relying on imperfect tests and, you know, got to use your own cop on about how you use those data, yeah, I'd say it's pretty good. Okay, finally, and make a prediction for me because you've been making them now since March and you've been you've been right more often than you've been wrong. I'll give you that, Jerry. I always will. 
Um, are we are we going to be facing more restrictions before we get eased? Um, well, of course, that depends on what we decide. Um, but if we want to get out of this, then, you know, the only way to, to level zero, and that's the level we really want to get to, the only way to level zero is through level four, level five, or, or, or something, some hybrid of those, some adaptation of those. So, and then, you know, do we want to be trapped between level two and level three for years? Um, you know, I, that's a pretty grey-looking existence to me. So I think for many people, we'd all prefer to bite the bullet, especially now that the, the economic supports are there, they're in place, you know, businesses can survive, and then come out of this with a smile on our faces in, in January, February. Okay. We'll talk again, no doubt. That's Professor uh, Jerry Killeen. He's the AXA Research Chair in Applied Pathogen Ecology. It's a big, long title, but basically he knows how this stuff works. And a lot of people say, oh, Jerry Killeen, Jerry Killeen. He's been right far more often than he's been wrong on this programme, I'll tell you. Robert, good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? You've been listening to, to the prof for months now. Well, I, I, I've been listening just in general, um, in the sense that it's just recently looking at say, there's something just uh, uh, New Zealand, really. Um, I can't understand how people aren't looking at New Zealand or mentioning New Zealand in the last few months because at the start everyone was looking that way. Uh, everyone was everyone was speaking about New Zealand at the peak. Um, just like Sweden, I don't agree with the Sweden uh, situation and what way they done it, but it seems to be that when something goes wrong somewhere, it's talked. When it's done well, it's not talked. Mm. And I can't understand the logic that politicians, and I'm not going, I'm not going into a political way of it, but I'm just saying, it seems to be, I'm listening, economics, 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 the, the country, the country. What's the point in having a good economy if we're all sick or people that we know are sick or the healthcare system is bombarded and we're back to where it was at the peak? You know, no ICUs, uh, beds, like bombarded. And it seems to be like this morning, I understand you're going to wear your and stuff. But in my opinion, they should just like get the healthcare system up and running. The, 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 the economy's not going to fail. There's been wars. There's been World War One, World War Two. There's been different... There's, you know, you come out of it, you have to just battle through it, but mm. at the same point, there's no one looking at New Zealand at the moment. The highest they had was in, in April of eight in April, mm. 18 cases. At the moment, PJ, it's two, it's one, it's two. They're at level one mm. since, you know, I think it's June. Well, New Zealand and Australia are now the the ones to look at and say they've done it. It's been hard, but they have done mm. it. And in particular, what should the point that should be made? I mentioned Niall Conroy, and there was another chap who, a colleague of his, whose name escapes me now, Eric was his first name, and they wrote an article together, Eric's based in New Zealand. The number of Irish... Mm-hmm. experts, doctors, consultants working in Australia and New Zealand on this thing would frighten you. Yeah. We can do this if we're only let do it, if they're only let do it in their own country. Are, are they communicating back? I, I, know, I know people here communicate with them. It's a communication. Yeah. It's, it's, if you fail, go elsewhere, try something else, try something new. Yeah. Like it, It's the border. The, the, the people up in Monaghan and, and, and are getting... They're never forged in they're getting chastised because they're next to the border. Do something with the border. We're a country. I'm sorry, but there has to be people coming from the north down to the Republic. That shouldn't be. Um, yeah. I don't know the numbers, but there, and there's probably people from the Republic going up to the north that shouldn't be. Like I can understand, we all have to do our own part at the same point. 
but I, it just seems that the, the government just seems to be just doing it really, it really not, like we, we said this at Saturday night show, was I on a few months ago, like, logic dictates a lot of stuff, and when you're, you know, I understand we, schools need to stay, but do the, if schools, there's no one, at the start it was all about the schools, or school, um, you know, the, the the kids aren't really, they're asymptomatic, they might, but the kids aren't really going to get it, they, they, they're not really susceptible to it, but it mm. turns out they are. So it's who they bring. It's who they bring it home to, Robert. That's the yeah, problem. Well, exactly. And look at the stats from when the schools closed. It, we went down. We were we were after kind of nipping it, and then the schools opened two weeks later, up again. Are you thinking so we should close the schools again? I, I I'm not sure, and that's not my decision to make. If well, I was to make a personal decision, my personal an opinion, opinion. Yeah. My personal opinion. Lock it all down for a while. For I, I'm sorry. It's it's. I know it's hard, but at the same point, I, I, you can't just... Nip. I went walking last night, PJ. I went into the city. I'm not going to name places. I've seen places with people in there that were opened. And if you've you, you got to rely on everyone to do it right. Not everyone's going to do it right. But even at that, from the highest of, 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 of the political spectrum, they're not doing it right either, in my opinion. Okay. You know? All right, all right. Listen, Robert, thanks for the call. Good man, 1850-715-996. Actually, Michal Martin made a point like that, or to that effect, last night in terms of the various rules. Full implementation of Level 3 can have a significant impact on the spread of the disease, but only if everyone follows the rules, and in particular, follows the spirit of the rules. And the truth is, there are concerns regarding the full implementation of Level 3. Yeah. Just some comments that have come in. An elephant in the room is the schools. No talk about that. Did schools remain open in New Zealand and Australia? They they had a schools closure program. Off the top of my head, can't remember. But they did close schools and they reopened them in a specific way along specific lines. John says pubs, shops, betting offices, coffee shops remain open. Sit outside the pub, visit shops, but you can't go to see relatives and friends in their homes. What a joke. John, the logic is... The logic is that the, there's a huge number of clusters. A cluster is anything more than two cases. Huge number of clusters that they have traced back to homes. Not so much pubs and coffee shops and betting offices. Homes. Huge numbers of clusters. And that's just that's just a fact. Why can't I visit my friend's house but I can't go to a bar where there are 14 other people or go into a gym? says a caller. I'm a childminder to a number of kids. Tishuk says it's okay for them to keep coming to my home. Yet I can't have my own parents in there. Michal Martin needs to shut down the country. Alan, I'm noticing an uptick on attacks against PCR tests and its reliability in regards to alleged significant false positives. And I suppose conflating this with higher numbers. Now, there is a lot of people trying to pick that science apart, but it remains the global standard. Joe says, morning PJ, they should have closed us down when Tony Holohan wanted to. They're just delaying what's going to happen. Close down now and be open for Christmas. My head is done in. Rose wants to know if the ban on visitors includes relatives and families. Does anyone know? Yes, it does, Rose, unless there are specific reasons why that person needs to visit you or you need to visit them. Finn, good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm confused here, to be honest. Well, if you're confused, being the rock of sense that you are, the rest of us are in no man's land because this is crazy. I mean, like, okay, the small local shop is a source of company for some old people and they go in, get their bits and go out. The pubs inside in town, people are sitting willy-nilly next to each other, no problem. My mother is in her 70s and every Sunday I go up with her dinner 
um, from, from, from a takeaway because she, just to give her the day off from cooking. And we have a 10-minute chat. My nephew calls into her, my sister calls into her once a week, and that's her lifeline at the moment because she has nothing else to do. That's just one. Somebody whose parents are in a, in, a, in a care home, they're struggling enough, and they have a little bit of company that comes from just calling in, saying hello, how are you, is now being taken away. Now, I agree that we have to protect the vulnerable. Not every household is vulnerable. Not every household is, is, is a cluster. And yes, your point is right that they have traced back that a lot of these have come from clusters. But PJ, if they're going to do that, close down the whole place and let everybody try to get over it for a couple of weeks because if this carries on, you're going to find, and you said it, I've said it, everybody has said it, the mental health impact on people who are on their own living and, and rely on that source of just, it's only a 10-minute company, 15 minutes. Hello, how are you? Do you need to do anything? Mm. You know, change now, your life. Now, you know the good news is, Finn, just from your personal point of view, you can still bring up your dinner or your mom's dinner Absolutely. to her. You can. I, can. I know that. And I you can sit that, and chat I, with her for a few minutes. There's no problem with that. Right, okay. So my point being hypothetically with this Harry Potter type platform that they're bringing at the moment is that if I go up to my mom's house and just drive down the road in a car down the road, he pulls me over. Does the, does the onus of proof come back in me that I wouldn't have delivered my mom's dinner? Or is that going, you know, how are they going to police it? Is it going to be curtain twitchers? Is it going to be, you know, somebody's neighbour eh, anywhere in Bally go backwards is, is having seven or eight people around? Does somebody ring the guards? And does that become, do you become a social pariah if somebody calls to your house? And it seems to me that the more changes they make, they're actually targeting the vulnerable, not helping them. There's no enforcement of this planned, by the way. They're expecting us all just to buy in and do it. Finn, leave it there. Thanks very much. 1850 Hi, PJ. I'm just wondering how much more am I supposed to do? I have a family I haven't seen since before March. I'm a school bus driver. My wife is a teacher. I'm not able to visit or have visitors to my house or garden, but I can drive a bus with 40 kids on it. And my wife's in a classroom with 30 kids in a school of eight or 900 but I can't go see my family. Where's the logic in that? Hi, PJ, it's a joke. Cork inter-county players can't go to their mom or dad's house, but can mix with 30 players in matches over the next few weeks. Right, Adrian is in Perth in Western Australia. Adrian, hi. Hello, PJ, how are you? And you're listening to us there, sir. Delighted to have you on board. What's it like down there right now? Um, Look, we're back to normal, as normal as can be. Um don't have many COVID cases in WA but uh, yeah we're back working as if it's, uh, it's nearly gone thank God how so hard was it? Uh, it was difficult at the start when it first came came about it was difficult but uh, every turn up and down got on with it um, the government the government as, as you said earlier on there's different states around uh, Australia so all of the governments locked, locked everything down Um other states over east, they opened up and I think they got a second wave. Our mm. government over here kept it locked down. So we're, we're doing good, as I, as I said. We're doing very good over here at the moment, thank God. Now, you reckon we need to first lock the international borders down and then internally, literally no one gets out of Cork until it's clear kind of thing? If it needs to be done, it needs to be done. Like, um, I think, as I say, I'm a regular listener um, over here and from all accounts and talking to mates back there, people are really nearly coming back from England and so on and so forth, you know, mm. and maybe they had to, fair enough, but um, I think they need to lock down and the government needs to get a bit uh, tougher on this. What did, the, what did they do with the schools? Are the schools back open now? Over here, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
zone, actually, where they locked, locked everything down, they locked the schools and everything went online. If you're an essential worker, they kept the schools open, and my wife's a nurse over here, so they kept the schools open in the sense that kids went to school for essential workers, mm. um, and they mixed them into, into, into group, into classes. Um, but a lot of it was done online. But no, everything's back open, all kids are back to the uh, school now. Um, yeah, I'm starting the fourth term over here now. And is social distancing a thing? Is hand washing still a thing? What's the story? It is to a point, PJ. That's, it's hard to crop so much worse. I was talking to a, one of the lads that worked the other day, like, and if, if it gets back into, into say, for, I would say, over in person, if it gets back in, because the social distancing is sort of there and it's not there, it could go rampant, but the government will lock down very, very quickly again. Okay. I'm feeling so. They're they're keeping it out. We have a few ships coming in up in the northwest yeah. that um, have a few COVID cases on it, but they're they're ma- they're managing it well. Okay. I think anyway. Um, quickly, so. quickly, and finally, where are you actually from, Adrian? Where do you come from? Crosshaven. Good man. All right. And how long have you been over? Alright, listen, stay safe there, lad, and thank you for the call, regular listener Adrian in Perth in Western Australia. They lock down hard. They lock down ruthlessly. And if they get a surge, they will lock down ruthlessly again. Victoria, Melbourne, Melbourne had 800 cases a day in July. They now have three or four, but they're going to hold on until they're down to zero and hold zero for a period of time. That's how you do it in public health. That's how they're doing it in Australia. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, live on the Opinion Line from Perth in Western Australia. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call. The text or the WhatsApp, both 083-396-9696. Email for the show, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96. Follow our hashtag, which is OL96. And the Court 96FM Facebook page, always there for you, 24-7. But do, if you can, mark your messages for the attention of the Opinion Line. just makes them easier to get. I want to go back to Ryanair. Fiona has been speaking with Neil McCarthy. You'll have heard in there a clip in the news. I've got the full interview. He's been speaking to the, or he is the MD of Cork Airport and uh, we'll hear that in full in a little while on the latest decision, the the decision announced by Ryanair. um, Threatened is a strong word, but threatened by Ryanair in the middle of the summer that if they didn't do something about aviation, that the base in Cork would be gone. They've confirmed this morning the base in Cork is gone for the winter. The base in Shannon is gone for the winter. There will now only be three regular Ryanair flights out of Cork Airport. The traditional Stansted link, which would have been an awful loss, that's going to remain. And also Gdansk and Katowice in Poland will remain. Uh, let's go to Councillor Kieran McCarthy. Good morning, Kieran. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. We kind of knew this was coming, to be fair. They did warn us, but the reality of it is in front of us now. Is there anything can be done? The Chamber have spoken out already. What are the what are the thoughts of the Council at this point? Um, I suppose the City Council are shocked by it. I mean, you're, I mean, apart from the flights itself, you're dealing with tens of thousands of tourism jobs in the region as well. Um, and people involved in every every commercial sector that has been hit by this. I'm not too sure if the 10 million euros that was put to Shannon and Cork yesterday or the day before is enough. Um, I mean, you're also dealing now with lost, apart from 
loads of jobs being lost, lost slot space yeah. in airports and destination airports, and they're not easy to get back. Um, and also, I mean, when you say like that, yeah, Ryanair is keeping a stance to Gdansk and Katowice's route. I mean, the Polish routes are something like once a week. Um, yeah. So on any given day now in Cork Airport, you're probably doing, dealing with two flights. Which is, which is basically going back to the 1960s when the airport... Farron 4 is busier now. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not advocating, like, uh, like let's open up the airports and, and let's get people on flight. We do, we do have a public health crisis, but uh, I'm not too sure if the government has been serious enough in their investment into Cork Airport. Mm. I think it is very much played by ear at the moment. Do Ryanair not have a point, though, Kieran, in that... Ireland is now pretty much an outlier. Many countries across the EU, they've got a flight plan in place. There's a travel program. You know, you can. There are ways and means to fly in or around Europe. And here in Ireland, we still have now a, a kind of a green list that never really worked. One of the places on the green list didn't even have an airport. Now there's nothing on the green list, and we're an outlier in terms of how the return of aviation is across Europe. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I've just come off a seminar with my, my European hat on, with my European Committee of the Regions post that I actually have for mm. Cork City Council and the government. And we had just had a tour of a tourism sector and there was someone speaking from Corsica and someone speaking from the European Commission. And they actually, the European Commission outlined like different cities and regions that are also affected. Like, we're not alone. And if you read the overall um, Ryanair press release, they talk about um, closing bases in France, oh, yeah. Germany and Poland. Um, so we're, we're not alone. So yes, the European Commission are bringing this colour-coded scheme. Um, but if you know, we look at the map of Europe where their red zones are. So they've got like red, orange and green, the European Commission. There's many regions now that are just red. Um, so Belgium and France, for example, like there's a curfew now in Paris. Yeah. So I mean, the, the second wave um, has arrived, which is something that you've been t- speaking about now for weeks, like on your show. It's very much here. And it's not just in Ireland. It, it, it's elsewhere as well. So we just all have to mind ourselves um, and so, I mean, like, I can, I, I take the, I mean, I listened carefully to Michal Martin and Michael McGraw over the last two days, and they look, yeah, we need to take care of ourselves. And you've had messages out as well on your show, look, that we need to take stock of where we're at. And also, from an economic perspective, we need to take stock where we're at. I, I, I just think the, the airports need more funding to stay alive. I mean, what you don't want to get to the point is, like, okay, let's say, you know, Aer Lingus, I think Aer Lingus now have um, London Heathrow and um, Schiphol. And then Ryanair has three flights. Let's say there's two flights a day. Like, how do you even keep the doors of an airport open with just two flights a day? Um, like, like that's like saying that one customer comes to your shop every morning, or one person listens to 96 FM, which they don't. But, but that you can't run a business that way. Um, so something has to give, and I, I think more funding needs to be put into to Cork Airport. And they've been knocking on the door, the door now for a while with with, with TDs and meetings and things like that. All right, we'll see what goes. It's wor- very worrying times for the future of the airport. Councillor Kieran McCarthy, thank you. I'm thinking very much this morning, and this is purely uh, a personal note, I'm thinking very much this morning of my dear departed friend, John Smith, who passed away only a few weeks ago. John was the man who took a halt of Cork Airport by the scruff of the neck back in, in the 80s and into the 90s, and he turned it into what it is today. He doesn't, get the, he doesn't get the credit for it in the history, but John Smith did that. He came back from Erlingus in, in Paris, took the airport by the scruff of the neck and turned it into the force it is today. I hate to think what, he, what he'd be 
thinking right now or he's still with us. This is a terrible morning for Cork Airport, terrible morning for the travel industry in Ireland. But is it inevitable? Was it inevitable? 185715996. Let's take that interview that uh, Fiona has sent us. She's been talking to the, the gaffer up at Cork Airport, uh, Niall McCarthy. Obviously, the team here at Cork Airport were really devastated to hear Reiner's decision to close uh, 13 routes out of Cork and to close the base. Uh, it's a huge blow to the airport. Um, and we've done everything in our power over the last number of months to retain the base here and the connectivity that it delivers for the whole south of Ireland. However, you'll be aware that planes are operating in the recent past since the pandemic with eight and ten passengers, and that's simply unsustainable. So as a sector, we've been totally devastated by COVID-19. Uh, and we need to get to a position as a country where we can coexist with the virus uh, and with the appropriate travel policies, which will involve testing and the adoption of the EU green list. Uh, but it'll involve pre-departure testing that we can get air connectivity up and running again. You have to remember that we're, we're an island nation and we can't stay cut off from the rest of the world for the next two years or so. So we do need air connectivity. We were the fastest growing airport in Ireland before COVID-19. Uh, and we're now facing into minus 95% reduction in our air traffic levels this coming winter. So that's particularly hard on everyone here at the airport. Uh, it's important to note, though, that despite the base closure, Reiner will still be retaining three routes into Cork this winter. Stansted, Katowice in Poland and Gdansk in Poland. However, these routes are going to be operated by foreign-based crew and aircraft after the base closure here. And Reiner have had a base here in Cork uh, for many years, so it'll be the first winter in many, many years that there'll be no Reiner-based aircraft parked on the tarmac outside. So how do we see it recovering? We, we will need appropriate financial supports and travel policies from the government. And with those in place, we will work tirelessly to secure the return of the Ryanair base in time for next summer. So we'll be working to return. Ryanair, at their peak this year, we're operating 26 routes out of Cork. So that would be our target, that we need to get back to 26 routes. Now, whether we can do that get some of them back for next summer and more of them for the summer after, but we will work tirelessly to get as many of the 26 routes as we can for next April so that we have a season, an inbound and an outbound season out of Cork. And I think finally it's important to remember that Cork Airport will have a service to Amsterdam with KLM operating throughout the winter and Aer Lingus are operating to Heathrow and uh, and to Amsterdam this winter. Uh, so it's important to remember we're not closed for business, that there are services out of Cork. Uh, so in summation, there's services to, to, to Poland with Ryanair, services to Stansted with Ryanair, services to Heathrow and Amsterdam with Aer Lingus and services to Amsterdam with KLM operating throughout the winter. However, we can't take the continuity of those services for granted. Um, we've seen planes, as I've said, operating with nine and ten passengers. That's unsustainable. So we'll work with the government to ensure that there's an appropriate travel policy accompanied by a testing regime for red zone countries so that Irish air travel and connectivity and particularly Cork air travel and connectivity uh, can be sustained for the good of all the people of the south of Ireland and for the business connectivity that it serves. That's Neil McCarthy, the chief executive up at uh, Cork Airport on the Ryanair story, the big story of the morning. Well, the two big stories we've got, one is the Level 3 Plus where as of tonight we can no longer have household guests. A lot of people not at all happy about that, by the way. I'll hold those comments for a wee while. Getting calls from Blackpool wondering what's on fire. Nothing uh, is the answer. There's just someone releasing steam. But because it's a cold morning, temperature only 7 or 8 degrees, it's a 
big cloud of steam is all it is. But thank you for contacting us. On Ryanair, Michael says it's a commercial operation with loyalty only to profit. They lower prices to gain control of routes, then pack up and leave if not returning substantial profits. That is what big business does. Tom says what we're seeing now is the inevitable byproduct of Dublin Airport controlling Cork. COVID-19, etc. has just been a trigger point. It's not Ryanair's fault. They're only trying to protect their shareholders. They're pulling out and being aggressive about it. But they have to be that way because of the way shareholder law is. Kevin wonders if we run a poll, who was planning winter trips? In all seriousness, nobody's flying right now. Well, that's true. Uh, Once this is over, it'll come back because the demand will be huge. Uh, What Ryanair are doing is best for the country, says this message. The less people travel in and out, the better. And Owen uh, sends us a Facebook message. It would be good for the government to explain why they felt it reasonable to send €96 million to the horse and dog racing industries, even though everyone knows the horrific cruelty that goes on following several documentaries. That money could have been used to support the airport, to support musicians who have no financial safety and are selling equipment to pay their rent or to offset any other number of rising costs for everyday people. And a lot of talk about that. Again, the devil is in the detail of a budget. We didn't know it yesterday doing the show. But yeah, Greyhound Racing and Horse Racing between them, 96 million yo-yos in the budget in the middle of a pandemic. 1850-715-996 I won't press the red button Why should they put the red button there if you're not allowed to press it? I feel like it's like when an animal sees like an orange and black frog it knows not to eat it Frog? Are you actually comparing our Saturday show to a bear not eating a frog? I'm just saying that's why I don't press the red button So good Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. If you want to hear me trying to figure out what's going on in Demi's brain, Saturdays. Tune in to us to see what else Demi figures out. <laughs> Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music made. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Corks 96FM. I come back to all the various news stories of the day uh, throughout the morning, but I want to stop down for a while to talk about something that is happening this week. In fact, there's a service on. This morning, they're doing it online. You'll have heard the chaplain of CUH, Daniel Newsom, on the morning news talking about the annual beautiful service that they do for babies who have passed away. And it's on today. It's on virtually. It's on online today. This is Baby Loss Awareness Week. And I know we've talked about this before. And when you start to talk about it, and the very brave people who come forward to talk about it, it tends to get people thinking and it tends to awaken memories in people who haven't talked about them before. So if what I'm about to talk about awakens memories in you, do feel free to share them with us. Diane McGee, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This is a difficult old week for you. Tell me about Andy Moya. Andy Moya. Um, Andy Moya was our, is our little girl. Um, we longed for her for so long. Um We've had three losses, PJ, in the last five years. Um, oh we had, um, I suppose, to start with Andy Moya, 
um, she was a very much wanted little baby and we we knew from 16 weeks onwards that there was a slight um, problem with the growth of her um, and every week she'd grow and she'd grow and we'd get her, her scans every 10 days um, and at 20 weeks we we saw her she was like roller coastering around on bouncing around on the ultrasound and um, we had much hope um, but unfortunately when we went back for our next scan um, just nearly 23 weeks um, her heartbeat wasn't there um, so that that was devastating absolutely do, do they know why Diane? They do. Um, we did. We did a post mortem afterwards, um, and I got to deliver um, our little girl Andy Moya. Um, we found out that it was a fetal fatal abnormality called Edward syndrome. Um, it's called T thirty T eighteen. I've and heard of it. I've yeah. Heard of it. Um, so you carried you carried her to full term, and she was, as they say, born asleep. Yeah. So no, I, I got to deliver her five days later after the diagnosis of her heart being nothing, her heart her heart being nothing there, and um, it's a natural delivery you go through. And anyone who's gone through a silent birth, um, it's it's the most scariest, loneliest, loneliest thing you'll ever go through. Um, you're you're in labour, and I always wanted a natural labour because I didn't have it on my first little girl, Maisie. Um, and um, you know, you're in a room, and you have your consultant. We um, uh, Moya McMinimum and she very kindly came in um, at one forty-one when Andy was delivered and um, but there was no crying there was complete silence there was no congratulations it was mm. it was just devastation um, may, may, may I ask Diane how on earth do you prepare yourself for that or can you I don't think you can ever prepare it um, prepare yourself um, I had, from the day we found out um, that there was no heartbeat, um, um, I suppose from the day we found, we had had a miscarriage before Hannity Moya, and then I'll speak about Christopher. Um, yeah. we, we had another little baby boy um, that was born at 32 weeks, and uh, it was really tragic that we unfortunately knew nothing, um, that we had no indication that there was anything wrong with Christopher. Um, till I rented him with reduced fetal movements to the CMH and he was delivered three and a half hours later um, and when he was born he was a very sick little baby and we were told he wasn't going to live long and we got him christened um, we got our, we tried to get all our family up there as soon as possible but unfortunately he only lived for an hour um, after we had him um, and um, that, you, yeah, you, you yeah. poor old thing yeah yeah it's crap. Yeah, not gonna lie. It's crap. It um, yeah, it's and we and uh, you know as I say, we had you a know, miscarriage as well. Yeah, we had a miscarriage in between. Um, my brother Pat is listening. He always jokes with me that I've been pregnant since 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, and thankfully we had a little healthy baby boy, Freddie, on the 7th of August, 2018. Oh, and um, yeah, that's that. But it's still, you know, we still have, I always say I have, I have a heaven and earth family. I have two little, you know, healthy boy and girl on earth, and I have two little angels in heaven, Christopher and Andy Moya. And um, yeah, the miscarriage was um, equally as devastating and um you know, I think we were eight weeks at the time with the miscarriage and it was five months after Christopher and, you know, you don't want to tell anyone that you're pregnant so early and you're still grieving the loss of another baby and, you know, you get excited and you hope everything's going to be fine. But um, I suppose to answer your first question, can you ever prepare yourself for it? No, because you always have hope and hope's one of my favourite words and unfortunately, 
we've had lost three times um, and you can't prepare yourself. Even though with Andy Moya, we were more alert and more aware of the things that can go wrong. And even after being given the terrible diagnosis that she had no heartbeat and having to deliver her, you, you try to prepare yourself better. We got more, you know, I had bought small, really tiny little clothes that fit her, would fit her. I had got stuff more, I was more prepared and we had a grave from Christopher and um, we put the two of them, the two of them with beautiful white crosses up in our local cemetery up the road from us. So, yeah. Do you, do you ask yourself a hundred times a, a year, why? Um, I don't, I really don't leave myself go there. Um, I We had a fantastic professor, um, Eugene Dempsey, who sat with me the day I was holding Christopher in my arms alive, and he said, no matter what you would have done, Diane, it would not have changed the outcome of um, Christopher. And How important was it for you to hear that? Really important, because you do, you'd kind of let your mind go, you know, I didn't drink, I don't smoke. There was lots of things I didn't do, and I, to be honest, did everything by the book. I was, this is so funny, I'm sorry, I'm looking out my window right now, PJ, and there is a beautiful robin just after appearing on my windowsill. Mm. Um, sorry, we all that's, know that story. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. So um, no, someone's saying hi, mom. Hi, mom. Yeah, if the other one would appear now, I'd put a bigger smile on my face. But um, yeah, no, it was it was uh, you know the staff at UMH. I've spoken many of the time um, publicly about how fantastic they were, and some of them now are people that I ring and have contact outside of the whole hospital um, environment. It's so important that um, the people that are delivering this horrible news to you that they deliver it with empathy and they're compassionate. And that's why my story isn't as horrific. Well, it's, it's, it is horrible. It's awful. It's the worst kind of, it's the worst in the world. But it's the people and the support around you make it easier. It brings you more comfort um, and they help with the pain and supporting you. I remember you know? the first time they, they held the, the service talking to Daniel, the chaplain. Yes, he's there, Daniel, he's, Daniel is brilliant. He's yeah. there a while now. There aren't too many newsums in Cork, but no. <laughs> he's there a while now. And I remember talking to him about it, you know, yeah. and, and the idea for it. How how cathartic, how therapeutic is that little service? The first year we went, it was too raw for me, to be honest. It was literally a week after Christopher had died and I just, you know, there was, it's a beautiful service. It's normally in the Sacred Heart Church and I, it was my first time experiencing it. And you go in and there's lovely readings and it's a service um, that there's lovely music being played, choir. And then afterwards, the nice, you get a candle. Now I have two. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Candles. Um, this When I go to the service these days, uh, you get a candle and it's in darkness and everyone is there for a reason. They've had a loss, whether it's an early miscarriage, late miscarriage, and you make your death or stillborn. And we're all in the same boat together. So you you can cry publicly. The first year I wasn't able to, I was very raw. But when you leave the service, um, 
all the staff in the CUMH, very familiar faces that are very much part of your journey on the grief process. They line up with their candles all the way over to the car park and it is just very, very special. Um, and they're very respectful of our babies. Um, and this year I was lucky enough just to do Repair the Faithful in the service that's going to be um, aired this morning at half past ten. And I was lucky enough to listen to some of the music and I'll tell you something, I had to wipe my mascara afterwards. It's, <laughs> okay. it, it was well, lovely. I know that the service is about to start and that you want to go watch it and be part of it online. So I will yes. let you there, Diane, and we'll be thinking of little Christopher and Andy Moya. And, thank and you so much. Thank you and stay safe and um, thank you for highlighting it. It's, it's such an important... Right. Bye-bye. You take care. Bye-bye. 1850-715-996. Let's listen to... Another story. I can't begin to describe the devastation when I started to bleed. When we were told the baby was gone. Even now, five years on, I can't find the words to explain the heartache that I felt. I took a few days off to physically recover. And then I decided it was time to try and refocus. I really, really wanted a baby. Our vision hadn't changed. That was still our dream. That was still our focus. This had been a really good life experience. It was going to make me a better doctor because I now knew what not to say to those who were suffering heartache and grief. That is simple. I'm here for you. I'm sorry. What do you need? Or sometimes silence is the answer. It's an extraordinary line from a little TEDx talk that Blonnet Scullion did. Blonnet, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And Let's talk first about, about, about what happened. And I think it happened again, didn't it? So I have um, two beautiful children. I'm so blessed to have them, but I've actually been pregnant five times. So we've experienced three losses. Um, The first was an uncomplicated miscarriage in the first trimester. The second was a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, which is a pregnancy period that occurs outside of the womb. And um, the the last loss we had was just last July, and that was another miscarriage. So although, you know, I'm a mother to two, I very much feel like a mother to five in my heart. Indeed. Indeed. And you're a doctor, uh, as you pointed out in that TEDx. Um, Talk to me about trying to, knowing more about the workings of the human body than the average mother, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the knowledge, about, about these terrible tragedies. How do you, how do you, can you explain them away by science and medicine? I think sometimes a bit of knowledge is a curse. And I think I was trying to clutch onto an answer or take some control, PJ, in a really uncontrollable situation. And I was trying to find answers, you know, wondering, was it me? Was it something I'd done? Was it something I'd eaten? Was it because I didn't exercise enough? Was it because I exercised too much? I very much tried to blame myself. Um, and then when I had the ectopic pregnancy, I had to get a and sadly lost my right fallopian tube. And after that, PJ, I really felt at a disadvantage. Even though the studies and the evidence would all suggest that your fertility isn't affected. But I I was worried if I had another tubal pregnancy on the other side, then that would be me left with nothing and nobody. So that that was a struggle. A bit of knowledge is is a dangerous thing. The remarkable thing from that clip of the TED Talk, you said it made you a better doctor. How? I have I have no doubt, PJ, that before I have experienced these losses, and I think it's really important to acknowledge that every loss is unique. 
and and how people process their losses is very unique and there's no right or wrong way to grieve. But for me, I have no doubt that before I experienced these losses, I have said the wrong thing. I have said, you know, you're still young, at least you can get pregnant, everything happens for a reason. And when I was there on the patient side, those things just weren't helpful to me. Mm. I and I kind of felt like saying, unless you know the reason, don't say that. You know, it just, I think at times for me, I just needed a hug and an acknowledgement that, you know, I was allowed to feel the pain and the grief that I was feeling. It's a very good point because when we talk about this um, on the programme, we will get the calls and the messages and they tend to come afterwards from people who've just sat and listened. From people who say, my my sister or, or my wife or my cousin, my friend has has lost a baby recently and and I don't know what to do. I don't know how particularly if it's a if if it's a wife or or a sister or any I don't know what to do to help. Yeah. Can you do anything to help? I think a really good starting point is to say what do you need? And the answer might be Paige, I don't know. It might be I need a hug. It might be you know can you just listen? I think uh, it's an Irish thing to try to fix things or, or find solutions. And yeah. I even sometimes just having a listening ear, opening the ears and closing the mouth and just allowing someone to just be vulnerable and, and speak how they feel because they, they might know themselves. That, you know, it's very hard when you're in the depths of darkness to know what to do. And what really helped me, I, I'm very close with my auntie and my godmother and she had suffered two losses in her life. And she said to me one day, whatever way you're feeling is right. And that's exactly what I needed. That nearly afforded me the, the permission to to feel the sadness and the grief that I felt. And that was that was a real uh, a real turning point for me and a real kind of yeah, I it was nearly permission to feel the sadness that I felt. Isn't it strange that you almost need that? Mm-hmm. Strange. I think you know, I, I always talk about this and I have been very open about this, PG in the past, but you know, it's nearly, the, the thing is, you don't say that you're pregnant in the first 12 weeks. You know, you're nearly not supposed to, to let on, to, to put it out there. And I think that that nearly diminishes those 12 weeks. You know, it, the life isn't important until after that point. Or, you know, I think it's, if it's if it's a mother's prerogative not to share it, absolutely. You know, you do you. But if you want to share it, which is very much what I wanted to do, I wanted to share each wee life that we had. Um, and I think if you want to do that, you should be able to, and it shouldn't be seen as taboo or, you know, keep that hush. Um, and, and for me, I was so thankful that we were able to say we are pregnant and celebrate it. And even when the, the three pregnancies ended in, in losses, mm. we, it wasn't we're pregnant, but we still had that opportunity to celebrate. And that was a real source of, of healing and hope for us at the time. Partners go through this too in their, in their own way. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to remember the partners like my husband is my rock and my centre and I just would be lost without him. I wouldn't be standing here without him. Um, and I think that it's really important to acknowledge that, you know, uh, particularly this week for Pregnancy Loss Awareness Week, there's been a day dedicated to LGBTQI couples um, and acknowledging that their struggles, you know, I think it's really important to remember couples who have even gone through IVF and have had failed cycles, you know, to acknowledge their pain for for those who have even just been struggling with infertility and who have never been able to become pregnant, this week is for everyone. And to acknowledge that, 
you know, this is a safe space for you to feel sad and it's, it's, it's a hard thing trying to get pregnant and some couples struggle for years and decades. And I think just if you can speak to one another, try to communicate. If you find that hard, maybe write it down, maybe share it through a letter or a message. Just try to communicate as best as you can and just you know, take it one hour at a time, one day at a time. Okay. Listen, it's, it's great to talk to you, uh, Blonded, and, and thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Take care and stay safe. You too. Take care. 1850 Lady got in touch to say, I've had three miscarriages since 2018, most recently three weeks ago, that you had to hear the news alone as my partner wasn't allowed in. Hearing those words, there's no heartbeat, is the hardest thing ever. It's the most horrible pain. Today is so special to me. It allows people to talk about their loss. People told me I shouldn't be telling people which I think is so wrong. That's from P in North Cork. Are they still telling people that in 2020? Sweet God. And that must be really... We talked about this during the pandemic. Not being able to have your partner in with you at that most devastating time. How awful must that be? How awful... 1850-715-996-Access-all-areas-on-Cork's-96FM-Your-Guide-to-Nightlife-On-Leeside-Hi-It's-Michael-Here-With-An-Update-On-Cork's-Entertainment-Coming-To-The-Everyman-In-November-
under, well, under those would, regulations, Cork would well, be an no-go area. Well, Ireland would be an no-go area. So I, I mm. suppose, look, we, we, we need to acknowledge that. I think actually at present in, in the whole of the European Union, only Finland would be compliant. So yeah. that might have suited fans to travel to a match last week or whatever. But, um, you know, realistically, Europe is, is in big trouble in terms of its increasing positivity rate in the virus. Ireland's current positivity rate is 6.2% to even be considered for this European um, aviation guidelines travelling we need to get that positivity rate below 4%. So I think people just need to bear that in mind. But obviously, the news coming from Ryanair this morning at Cork, Air- Cork Airport is devastating. It's going to cost people directly their jobs and indirectly in other industries as well, and mm. that's regrettable. But the big thing is the government TDU asked me, what can we do? There specifically is a €3 billion Euro contingency fund there for situations like this. Um, and I suppose we'll be pressing on, on, on government that, you know, Cork Airport... Is this the money that, that um, Michael McGrath told me about yesterday that was kept in the kitty, as it were, for for emergencies? Yeah. Essentially, yeah, and this is an emergency. There, are, Look, as I said, up to 12,000 jobs, in, you know, are being impacted in this, directly and indirectly. So that contingency fund, as far as I'm concerned, is specifically for circumstances like this. And I think we need to go back to government now and make the argument for Cork Airport and mm-hmm. Shannon Airport, to be fair, that they need, you know, access to this funding. So you're making a direct call, I think, on the Minister of Public Expenditure this morning, are you? I'm making a call on government. You know, that fund is there specifically ring-fenced for situations like this. And I I think that this situation is dire. We need that airport for connectivity to attract future investment into the region. And I think it's imperative that, you know, both Cork and Shannon Airport have access to that contingency fund. Okay. The the other matter that I wanted to talk to you about was the Dunkettle interchange. That's been delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, it will go ahead now, though. Yeah, finally, there was a letter of acceptance issued to the contractor during the week. So, basically, we're just waiting on that technicality for that letter of acceptance to be returned um, by the contractor. Um, and so, obviously, SISCs were awarded the, the, the contract and I suppose, as you said, this is going on a long time. I think I think it was instigated back in 2008, 2009. There's a row over um, costs caused the delay, wasn't it? Yeah, as, as your listeners are probably aware, there was uh, an issue where, you know, the, the, the initial project was tendered um, and government departments had, you know, had concerns about the award and it went out for a retender. And as far as I know, the, the, the Specifically, what was returned is dramatically, you know, there's a good saving there for government, up to 40 million euros. So that's significant. And I think, you know, albeit the the retendering process was arduous and frustrating, at the end of the day, it saved 40 million in public public money. So I I think it was necessary. Now, with that said, there were still preliminary works continuing throughout that whole process. So, you know, as people would have seen as they drive through it and drive past it, you know, the work was still was still happening in and around the Dunkirkle interchange. Yeah. So it's, it's just good now that we finally have that letter of acceptance issued. And once that's returned, it, it you know, it'll be like work never stopped. It's so ha- have we a time frame now for completion? Yeah, completion is, is due to be in March 2024. Now, I've spoken to a number of people in the department and in the CII, and they're hoping that, you know, all going well, that they could come in before that. Um Obviously, COVID nineteen, we, we're hoping will will have a limited impact on, on on developments there. But you know, it is a possibility as well that people need to be mindful of. But March twenty twenty four is 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 the hopeful. Now it could be a today. grand route to nowhere in one direction at least if we don't have a north ring road properly taken care of. 
Yeah, well, the North Ring Road as well is 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 a, is a road that has been talked about for an awful long time. Um, I myself would, would would have put it down as one of the priorities I would like to progress. But like any politician will, knows in this game that, you know, it's not just as simple as declaring that a road is going to be done. There's years and years of planning, development, you know, tendering that has to go into these. And last week, TII did issue, you know, uh, nearly a quarter of a million euro to for for you know new surveys of the, mm. the inner North Ring Road. So, like, are we, are we any closer to that? Do you think, Patrick? Well, they're talking in, about in it since the nineties. <laughs> Yeah, no, and in truth, PJ, like, if it happens, it will take, you know, a prolonged period of time. As I said, like, I, I remember I was involved in a traffic and transportation study for Little Island there recently in, in 2016, you know, and all those recommendations were made, all those applications have been made for funding to the NTA and so on and to TII. But it's only come, going to come in 2021, 2022 when they actually start putting in those bus lanes and cycle lanes. So, unfortunately, these and things take time. Stage, they yeah. do take yeah. time. Yeah. But the Northering Road is a priority. I a lot of time. Another thing that, and I don't know if one is dependent on the other, the, the, the news now about Dunkettle, that's probably got implications for the main Carrigaline Road as well, isn't it? The, the new Carrigdown Way there, the new motorway. Yeah, well, like all these national roads project, projects, they're all intertwined and all connected together. I suppose the priority is just, as I said, the deadline for March 2024 for Dunkettle is, is a deadline we need to work towards. It's it's for the enhancement and the development of the greater Cork region. We'll say, the, you know, these projects will, you know, save businesses millions and millions of euro um, every year. Like in Ireland, there's an estimated 600 million euro lost every year by businesses because of traffic and delays. Um, albeit a lot of that has subsided now because of COVID, but at the end of the day, we're going to get back to reality and, and the real world post-COVID. And you know, the the, the removal of, of traffic lights at Dunkettle will allow for more free flow of traffic. And you know, as I said, it'll it'll be a, a major boost for for business and employment in, in the Greater Park area. Okay, we'll watch it with interest. Thank you, Podrick O'Sullivan, uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Cork North Central. Just on the airport. It's a WhatsApp message. Airports should only be open for essential supplies or cargo. Nobody needs to be travelling anywhere. Yes, jobs are vital, but so too is people's health. Also, hammer businesses who flout the restrictions. 50,000 fine, 100,000 fine. So many so many are doing so, and Gardaí have no powers to enforce them. Oh, so many people are, are flouting. Well, if you're to take as given the stuff we get off air in the evening time and the night time. Complaints, complaints about places that are only supposed to have 15 outside or supposed to have nobody outside and they're sitting on top of one another and, and we're getting a lot of complaints. It's all anecdotal stuff. Complaints and photographs and little bits of video about the, the, the level three restrictions being broken hither, tither and yon as it were. But there's no rest- there's no enforcement powers. Guards have no powers of enforcement. Hi PJ, I'm married to an Irishman. I can fly home to Poland now for a holiday uh, and for Christmas with Ryanair. Uh, many of my friends are there, but my husband, who's Irish, can't go and see his mom. These rules are a joke. We've had a couple of other long messages, including one about the business rates from the lads at the Boothouse Bar. Maybe we could get that printed, Fergal. If you could, or Terry, could we maybe get that printed rather than be reading it off a screen while it moves? And just on the baby loss, and I spoke to Blonid and I spoke also to Diane. Sandra says, so glad this is being featured. Too raw to listen to the service this morning from COH. Had, oh my goodness, you poor woman. Had four miscarriages in 12 months. Last one, February. 
Due date was last month. I really struggled. It's rarely spoken about. Thankful to a wonderful friend who has been very kind. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Coming up on a lighter note before uh, the end of the show today, I will give you some of what I consider to be really good news out of the pandemic. What? Yes, there actually is some good news out of the pandemic. I'll give it to you before midday. I'll be killed for it, but I'll still give it to you. 1850 715 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Uh, Twitter at OpinionLine96, hashtag OL96, and of course Facebook. And mark your messages for the attention of the Opinion Line. So last night we learnt that uh, all household visits are now banned uh, as of t- midnight tonight, except for essential reasons, like childcare, or to visit or take care of a sick relative or an elderly relative. So yes, you can actually still visit your mother. You can actually have the friend who minds little Tommy while you go to the shop. They can still come over because you need to get out for your supplies. It's not quite a total lockdown. We'll focus on it more maybe uh, tomorrow, but that, but we'll hear more about the allowance, the allowances that are being made later in the day. But that's 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 for tomorrow, I guess, at this stage. But why why was it um, introduced? It was introduced, I think. I'm only interpreting because the numbers are growing. We did the numbers yesterday morning. I don't propose to do them today. I may do them again tomorrow because I traditionally do them on Friday. We did the numbers, and the numbers are mounting every day. Yesterday, we had a thousand and odd cases in in this country, and another thousand north of the border. So we had two thousand cases in one day on the island of Ireland. Of Ireland, the ICUs are coming under pressure. The critical care beds in the hospitals are coming under pressure. It was going around last night that there was no ICU bed available in any of the hospitals in Cork. So what if someone came in from a serious car accident last night? There was no ICU bed for them. And it is getting serious, getting very, very serious. And what is happening is not that there's not enough ICU beds for the people with COVID, but when you put the people with COVID into ICU, someone else can't get in there. Carol Troy was on with me last week uh, about her own cancer journey and, and it was a successful GoFundMe that she that she ran. But Carol tweeted about her dad, who's 81. And I think, Carol, he was actually gowned and ready for his surgery. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, that's correct. Um, just to give a little bit of background to my dad. Um, dad is 81 years of age, as you said, and up to earlier this year, a, a very fit 81 years of age, used to swim 40 or 50 lengths of a pool a day. And then he became unwell earlier in the year, and my parents live in Clonmel. So he was admitted to uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Clonmel. And over a course of, I suppose, the summer and a number of months, he underwent various procedures to, do, to try and figure out why he was unwell. Um, because he would be left out for a couple of days and he would become unwell again and he would 
And eventually it was established he had something wrong with his bile duct, so it mm-hmm. was affecting his whole his whole digestive system. So it was decided that the best thing was to uh, transfer him down to the Mercy Hospital in Cork um, because he could see a consultant there who would be able to figure out what exactly was going on with him and if there was any procedures that needed to be carried out to obviously make him well again. So um, Dad was in hospital probably in Clonmel for about four weeks um, trying to get a bed in the Mercy Hospital in Cork Mm. because the consultant down in the Mercy Hospital in Cork wanted to carry out his own investigations and, and figure out what needed to be done. So over a period of about four weeks, Dad was probably told, I would say five or six different times, that, yes, you're going to the Mercy in Cork, there's a bed available for you. He would get ready, put on his clothes, pack his bag, sit on the edge of the bed and wait, only to be told at the last minute, no, sorry, unpack, there's no bed available for you in the Mercy. Eventually, um, after much toing and froing, and on, on our behalf, on my family's behalf, we ourselves kind of were phoning and phoning to try and get him into the Mercy. He eventually got a bed in the Mercy and was brought down. Mm and underwent the various investigations. And it was established he had a precancerous growth on his pancreas that would need to be removed. Mm. Um, Now, Dad at 81, as I said, is very fit. They did various tests on him to, you know, establish his level of fitness because what was being proposed is an extremely serious operation. It can take up to seven, eight hours for this operation. So... Thankfully, due to Dad's swimming of 40 or 50 lengths of the pool every day, he was deemed fit for the operation. And what was decided was was that the best thing for him would be for him to go home for a couple of days because he had spent so long in hospital at this stage to get home, get some of my mother's home cooking because uh, as a result of his condition, he had lost a lot of weight. And Dad didn't have a huge amount to lose. Um, so he could get home, get some of Mam's home cooking and get a little bit of exercise, fresh air mm. and that he would come back into the Mercy uh, last Monday and on Tuesday morning he would have his operation. Right. So uh, Sunday, last Sunday he went down to Corona Broher, had his COVID test. Um, Monday my parents received a phone call to say um, that yes, the bed is here for you in the Mercy, come down. So my sister brought my dad down to Cork and he was admitted to the Mercy. We were all delighted. We said, thank goodness, we finally got him in the door. He'll get this procedure that he needs. We won't be on the roundabout of illness and stays in hospital and, you know, him not being able to see him. We were delighted. So Tuesday morning, um, dad was up half seven. They came in. He was gowned up, ready to go to theatre. The entire team were waiting for him to arrive in theatre. Um, but because it is such a serious operation and obviously dad's age as well, mm. um, it's necessary for him to go to ICU post-operatively yeah. um, for, you know, for that that level of care until he recovers. This is, this, is the, this is a massive surgery. I know a bit a about... A massive surgery. Yeah, this is, the, this is the, the surgery they do to, to prevent pancreatic cancer. It's a huge yes. surgery. Yeah. Huge surgery, yes. But if successful, is is curative. Yeah. So, so it's, I suppose that was one of the reasons, you know, we decided that you know, Dad should go ahead with it. So he sat there all ready to go, uh, only to be told. Now, when I say at the last minute, the man was there gowned up for theatre for them to come in and say to him, sorry, your operation's cancelled. You can go home. We don't have an ICU bed for you. So not only not only was it devastating for my dad, but you have to consider there was a highly skilled surgeon 
whose entire day was wasted. There was an anaesthetist, there was theatre nurses, there was theatre time that was of no use to anybody. Like, had this been known sufficiently in advance, I, I know for a fact that my dad's consultant has an extensive waiting list and other people who wouldn't have required, you know, post-op ICU care could have been seen on that day and could have had their various procedures. So everybody's day was wasted. Dad now is at home. Thankfully, he's relatively well at the moment. But, but because the way he's, in the past, the way his illness has been, we've had periods where he's been well and all of a sudden things block up again in his system and he becomes acutely unwell, mm. you know, has to go back into hospital, antibiotics, you know, high-dose antibiotics, weight loss, things like that. And, and there liver. must be a fear as well, Carol, in, in both you and in him and in the rest of the family that he will pass the point after which it can't be done. Yes, absolutely. I mean, at the moment, it is in a precancerous stage, but nobody knows, you know, at what level is it progressing, so the sooner this operation can be done, the better. And, and were you informed or have you just figured out that 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 the the cancellation was down to pressure on the ICU due to COVID? No, he was informed. He was told um, he was told on the day that basically there was uh, no no ICU beds available for him. I suppose the problem is my dad requires an isolation ICU bed, which would also be considered um, a, a COVID ICU bed. So that in itself is probably an, an added a thing that goes against him. But even still, you know, he, he's been left sitting again. And I suppose mentally he had prepared for this operation yeah. because at, at this, this operation for anybody is extremely daunting. But at 81, it has to be incredibly frightening to be facing it. Yeah. But he was in a good place. I saw him last weekend. You know, I said to him, Dad, I said, it'll be OK. I said, this time next week, you'll be through it. Yeah. And we'll be we'll have you on the road to recovery. And how is he now, Carol? He's frustrated, I think, um, because the health service has consistently left him down. Um, and I think this is just the final straw. All my dad wants is, is to get well. And, you know, it has to take a huge toll on him mentally. And that is very strong mentally. But but I, I w- it wouldn't surprise me, I, and I wouldn't blame him if he just threw his hands up in the air and said, I'm, I'm not doing this, I can't do this. Yeah. Our thoughts are with you and with him, and hopefully, he, yeah. and, and you know he's not the only person that's going to get bumped no. off a list because of this blasted thing, and people asking daft questions like, there's only five COVID patients in the ICU in Cork, uh, how is it filling up all the beds? It's, it's not filling up all the beds, it's filling up beds for people like your dad who would yeah. need ICU as part of other care. Yeah. Uh, by, the, yeah. by the way, before I let you go, and, and congratulations on the GoFundMe, you went well Thank over target. I went well over target. I met my oncologist yesterday and she discussed the various treatments open to me. And actually what she's now recommending, given that my GoFundMe was so successful, um, there is another drug, uh, again, not approved for people like me, that actually gives me an even better chance of preventing a recurrence. And thanks to the money that I have raised, I'm able to get this drug it offers me an extra 10% of preventing the cancer recurrence. I know some people would say 10%, but thanks to everybody's generosity, I will be able to get it. And I'm still going to, uh, I'm not going to take all the money out of the GoFundMe. I'm still going to give 
some money to break through cancer research there in Cork mm-hmm. and to the hospice here in Waterford and my family are going to help me just make up the balance for the for the for the for the drug. All right. Well that, that that's yeah. great news. And I was concerned that you'd get to the the target you did. You shot right through it and delighted for you Carol and our best to your dad and hopefully his opportunity to have that uh, it is life-saving surgery will will come. Thank you. Carol Troy, 1850-715-996. Let me go straight to the airport, back to our main story, our developing story of the morning, uh, to Kevin Cullinan, uh, commercial manager at, uh, uh, communications manager rather, at Cork Airport. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Since the news broke this morning, even though I think we probably all knew Ryanair were going to do this, um, what's it been like up there? I'd say fairly bleak all day. Uh, a bleak old day uh, at the best of times during COVID at the moment. Um, but everyone at the airport, uh, there's 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 a, a, a plume of dev- devastation really over the staff here that are here today. And um, obviously people working directly for Ryanair, their cabin crew and pilots are the ones that are going to be directly impacted. But, but everyone working at the airport, and there's over 2,000 people directly employed by companies at the airport, uh, this is going to have a ripple effect for us all, baggage handlers, fuel handlers, catering companies, concessionaires, as well as the airport staff. So it, it is uh, it is bad news. There's no denying that. It was well flagged by Ryanair a number of weeks ago. Mm. Uh, they did come to Cork. They did meet with all the Oireachtas members here in Cork to, to explain uh, how serious the situation was regarding the base. Um, so while they will continue three routes over the winter, those routes will be based and operated uh, by aircraft and staff outside of Ireland. And have you had any reassurance from them? Because I remember at the time, uh, Eddie Wilson said when they were talking about this back in, is it August or September? They were talking about this. They said, look, if we if we lose those routes, we may not get them back. How confident are you that they'll be able to get back into operation for the summertime? Well, we know pre-COVID, um, you know, Cork Airport was the state's second biggest and best connected and fastest growing airport. So we know that there was demand and there is demand in normal times. The challenge at the moment is that nobody is really travelling unless it's absolutely essential. Uh, And even then, um, they are stymied by the fact that there is a mandatory 14-day quarantine on return. Uh, And Ryanair and indeed other airlines and indeed the airport sector in general has been saying there has to be a consistency of approach right across Europe. Uh, And Ryanair were holding out uh, for this week to see what would emanate out of Luxembourg and the European Council's decision on this much uh, heralded traffic light system. Uh, that would given would have given more certainty, but that has been left, I suppose, hanging in abeyance at the moment because it's still left up to individual member states to decide what restrictions they'll put in place, depending on their own national health. Has advice. government dropped the ball, Kevin? Uh, I think government has been, you know, working diligently to to, to find a pathway through this from both a, a public health perspective. Uh, and an economic perspective, and it's a very del- delicate uh, balancing act to them. But we do need to find a pathway through this, and we will need policy support to change and to adapt. And obviously, we'll wait and see um, what the government will decide uh, after this week's uh, European Council decision as to how best to to try and uh, provide some certainty. And well, I mean, at the end of the day, we're an island nation. We need to be connected with the rest of Europe and indeed the rest of the world. Yeah. And if you have your second biggest airport in the state only operating five routes this winter compared to, you know, 50 routes that we had last year, uh, we're a long way off 
of having connectivity. Oh, uh, wow. That's, some, that, that's a blunt comparison now, because I've been writing down here 30, it was the ones of 30 routes for Ryanair, but you're saying five out of more than 50. Yep, so like Ryanair will operate their London Stansted and their Gdansk and their Katowice routes this winter. That's three. Aer Lingus are committed at the moment to operating London Heathrow and Amsterdam and you have KLM uh, hanging in on Amsterdam as well. So, you know, uh, five destinations served uh, by three airlines. We've already lost this year alone six airlines uh, that have suspended routes. Uh, and we're now looking at a, a 95% reduction in traffic levels for the coming winter ahead. This is going to make jobs unsustainable at the airport, Kevin, isn't it? Well, we're committed to obviously uh, operating those routes to those destinations through the winter. We're going to have to work now uh, to look at our, our, our programme uh, for the winter and see how we find a, a pathway through this Um but it is, it is worrying times for everyone in, in the aviation sector. There's no denying that. Um, today is a, is a devastating blow for, for those that are directly employed, as I say, by Ryanair and their ground handlers and their fueling companies, their catering companies. Um, but nobody in the aviation sector is immune from this, not here in Cork, not here in Ireland, not here yeah. anywhere in the world right now. How important is it for the future of aviation and travel, be it for business or be it for pleasure? How important is fast-track airport-based testing? It's absolutely paramount to to finding a pathway through this. Uh, We've been doing a lot of work uh, over a number of months. Um, Back as far back as July, we were saying we were uh, looking at uh, pre-departure testing so that they would allow people to get a test at an airport facility or another medical facility in the region 72 hours before their departure. Uh, And then if they required a further test on arrival, uh, depending on local health restrictions and the the destination market, they may require a second test. But that would have restricted, you know, the inconvenience down to five days as opposed to the the mandatory 14-day quarantine that could be in place on both sides of your destination. And being realistic, nobody's going to go visit uh, family or friends uh, anywhere for a few days if they have to quarantine on arrival at the destination and then uh, stay self-isolating for 14 days on the return. So we have been um, looking and we've gone out to the market uh, to procure services for pre-departure uh, testing. Uh, and we could have that literally up and running in a, in a matter of weeks uh, if it was to get the, the green light. So we're not alone in this. Uh, other airports are already doing it. Um, but we need a pan-European agreement. And I see now that the, the European Disease for uh, the European Centre for Disease Control has now been mandated uh, to go away and look at this to try and bring some consistency right across the continent of Europe, particularly for the EU member states. Kevin, 10 weeks today is Christmas Eve, which means that 10 weeks yesterday would be the busiest or one of the busiest days of the year. Cork Airport's looking for a very, very bleak Christmas, isn't it? Well, I think all of us want to see our family and friends around the the, the table this Christmas. Um, We'll do our level best. We will work tirelessly uh, over the intervening days, weeks and months ahead um, to maintain and build upon the connectivity we have. But uh, for anyone who's contemplating uh, travelling home this Christmas, there is going to be um, very slim pickings in terms of uh, route availability uh, and flight availability. Uh, So it is going to be a very different Christmas. Christmas will happen. We will celebrate it. Uh, We will rally around. Uh, But for this year, uh, 2020 is going to be a, a very different celebration to the one 
we're we're used to for okay. sure. Kevin, I have, as you know, many friends up at the airport staff going back many, many years. I, I wish them all well today. It's a tough whole day. Thank you, PJ. Look, we will rally round uh, and we will forge ahead. Uh, we will have brighter days ahead. But today is, is one of those very disappointing and, and devastating days in the annals of Cork Airport's history. But we'll right. rise above this. All right. All right. Kevin Cullinan at Cork Airport. 1850-715-996. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. <laughs> What we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Story. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 On Court's 96FM. Coming up, don't believe all that you were told about rates and commercial rates and exemptions and people now having to pay their rates for the months that they were closed owing to the pandemic. And remember it was in the budget yesterday, commercial rates suspended till the end of the... Don't believe all that at all. As they keep saying, the the devil's in the detail. I'll get to that shortly. But uh, we've been covering this story for quite a while now. And this is the twinning of Formoy with a place called Deba in Poland. Uh, which has a very disturbing policy on LGBT. And there's been a move now to get Formoy to just break that link. They had suspended it, but that there was a call on just break it. And the twinning committee in Formoy has now officially ended its arrangement with the Polish town of Noadeba because of its declaration. They declared themselves, get this, they declared themselves an LGBT-free zone. Sir Schumacher is chair of the East Cork Social Democrats, one of the people who was calling for this complete split or complete scrapping of the arrangement. Sir good morning. Hi, PJ, good morning. There's a bit of a history here. Um, the twinning goes back to when? Uh, I believe it goes back to 2006, Fiji's when they first went uh, with Noah Deba. And when did Noah Deba start changing their policies? Um, so in 2019, um, I think it was late 2019, a number of um, uh, municipalities in Poland, um, mostly down to the southwest of Poland, um, but a few other areas scattered around Poland, um, started declaring themselves um, free of LGBT ideology was what they were thinking. And um, as, uh, uh, as it stands right now, it is about a third of Poland that has um, declared themselves um, uh, um, LGBT free. So obviously Poland is quite a big country, so that's a, a huge area, you know, it's a third of Poland. Um, so yeah, it was. it's um, going back over the last year or so, there was, um, I think there was a, a, a chunk of them at the start and then a few more uh, later on um, also declared themselves um, LGBT free zones. Mm. Now they're going against EU policy for example uh, President Ursula von der Leyen of the European Commission has said that this this policy has no place in the in the EU or indeed in the civilised world 
Why did it take for Moy so long to just break the relationship? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest, PJ. Um, I think that um, I, I don't think it took um, you know I don't think it took a massively um, long amount of time either. Um, to be fair to <laughs> Councillor Noel McCarthy in the area, um, he's the council's representative on the for my twinning committee, and he was the one that um, that brought this forward, um, which is absolutely fantastic, and and suggested that. Um, that um, the twinning committee break their their ties. I suppose there is a process that has to go through as well, um, so that's probably why it's taken um, a bit longer than we might have hoped. But um, I think they were still um, pretty quick um, to uh, to look at this um, idea. You know, um, I'm not sure if it's something that um, other towns have done for the same reason. Um, so I suppose it, it probably probably did take a bit of. Um, 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 back and forth as well, and communication with um, the council of this town as well in, in Poland. You know, mm. um, so I know that they sent a letter uh, with their intention to um, break ties, and a decision then whether they would formally do it would be based on whether or not they got a positive response then from from that town okay. uh, in Poland. Okay, all right. Well, it's done now, and I think a lot of people welcoming it. Thank you, Sirsha Mackin, chair of the East Cork Social Democrats, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Kevin says, "Congratulations for my best decision. Hope that others follow." Right. Let us remember what I said about the rates. Don't believe all you're hearing. We'll find out more next. It's huge. Oh, what with the goalkeeper? Oh, what a goal! It's historic. Champions of England, Liverpool. It's here. What a free kick from Kevin De Bruyne. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie as we bring you the Premier League live exclusively online. This Saturday, it's Everton versus Liverpool at 12.30. Chelsea versus Southampton at 3. Man City versus Arsenal at 5.30. And Newcastle versus Man United at 8. Go, go. The Premier League Live Online, powered by TalkSport. Listen every Saturday by downloading the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. So the budget had it on uh, Tuesday, what day have we? Thursday. Tuesday, that rates exemption, the exemption of commercial rates would continue until the end of the year. And as we know, there was an exemption on commercial rates throughout lockdown and all of that was some help to businesses. You would think then that struggling businesses, many of whom are now closed again, wouldn't have to worry about rates for the rest of 2020. Not so. Brian Kenny at the Boot House got a letter and sent us a copy. Brian, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. So you closed on the 15th of March? Uh, correct, yeah. Okay. yeah. You got a letter. What's in the letter? Um, well, you know, like everyone else, we were listening to the budget uh, intensely on Tuesday, and we're delighted to get the news that um, rates seem to be parked until the end of the year. So that was great news. But then yesterday, Wednesday, we received a letter from Cork City Council um uh, in relation to our rates, so um, our rate charges for 2020 are 
Um, we got a six-month waiver because of uh, COVID-19, which brings the total down to 2,135.61. So I said to myself, that's surely a mistake. So I rang Cork City Council. I spoke to a lovely lady there, to be fair. And she said that uh, that was sent out before the budget. So I assumed she was going to tell me that, you know, it was null and void. But she said, no, in fact, that um, the announcement of the budget meant that for the rest of the, the next three months of the year, the last three months of the year, our rates would be waived. But we actually owed for January, February, and until the 27th of March, despite the fact that we closed on the 15th of March, meaning that we owe something in the region of uh, €1,068, um, despite the fact that the government are slapping themselves on, their back, uh, on the back and telling people that, you know, they've waived rates and yeah. all this. We, so you, you, know, you, you, owe, you owe up to the end of March. W- would you accept at all, Brian, that you should probably pay for January and February because you were open and trading? Um, well, I suppose the way we look at it, PJ, is this is that um, under normal circumstances we pay our rates. We have no choice but to do so. But frankly, to be very honest, we, we have no benefit whatsoever for paying rates. I mean, we have, um, we have our own water supply. Um, we pay for our own bins in the area. I mean, rates are supposed to go to the benefit of your local area. We have no footpaths. We have no public lighting. We have no bus service. Um, the roads are not in great condition. Um, I mean, to be very honest, uh, last year we moved from Cork County Council to Cork City Council. And yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I don't want to run down the area I live in because I've lived here all my life and I love the area. But I'd have to say that as regards, you know, attention from the council, um, we're like, the land of time forgot. Like we, we, we get no benefit whatsoever for paying rates. As I said, we're 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 only five miles from Cork City Centre and we don't have a bus service. We must be the only area that's so close to the city and has no bus service whatsoever. Mm. Are you going to pay the one thousand and odd? <laughs> we probably have no choice because when push comes to shove, um with the rates, uh you are threatened with uh repossession of goods, you're threatened with the sheriff, so you know, um, no, to be fair, I spoke to a very nice lady yesterday and she told me there's no rush on it. We have till the end of the year. But to be very honest, we, we may not trade again before the end of the year. I mean, we've only traded for 91 days this yeah. year so far. You were you got open again and then closed again. How long were you open for? Uh, 16 days. 16 days and then closed yeah. again. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's a genuine fear. And speaking to one or two publicans that I know and people connected with various elements of the trade, there's a genuine fear now, Brian, isn't there? Particularly in the wet pubs like yourself. You just won't get a Christmas. Yeah, it's starting to look like it. I mean, you know, the, uh, Michal Martin made his announcement last night and he very kind of stealthily put in there that we would be closed for an extra two weeks. And very few people noticed it at the time, but he just kind of slipped it in there last where, where, night. Where's like, that? Yeah. Where's that? Remind me again what he said. Um, last night when he made his announcement, he said that the country has gone to level three whatever he called it, uh, some counties have gone to level four and that the whole thing will be reviewed on the 10th of November. It was previously uh, the the 27th of October it was to be reviewed previously. Yes, but yes. last night he mentioned the 10th of November and most people didn't even notice that. Yes. So that means there was a, an extra two weeks were stolen from us just like that in the blink of an eye. Now that you pointed out, Brian, you're, yes, originally the level three was to last until just after the bank holiday weekend. Wasn't yeah, exactly. It? So, yeah, so that would have been three weeks, and uh, now it's gone to five all of a sudden in the blink of an eye without most people noticing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you've, you've no way of doing people outside in the yard, like, have you? No. 
Well, we we have an outdoor area, but it just be completely impractical because it's 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 wide open. There's no heating. There's no covering. You know, and and anyway, what's more, PJ? I, I'm not even sure at this situation. Uh, I mean, there's something about you can only have um, six people from two households in an outdoor gathering. So I do I. So I don't know if that affects pubs, no or not anyway. So, you know, it's all just up in the air again, right? It is totally, it is totally. Yeah. All right, Brian, I suppose, you, like you said, you'll have, to, you'll have to give it to them at some point, but you're not going to rush to the ATM today. Well, we can't, unfortunately, so no, no. Okay, leave it there. Thanks very much, Brian Kenny from the Boothouse. Genuine fear now, very genuine fear that we won't get the pubs back for Christmas. That's actually something that we didn't we didn't spot that I didn't spot that anyway last night that without sort of batting an eyelid, Michal Martin changed the level three restriction from the twenty seventh of October to the tenth of November. Now, if you're to believe uh, Professor Jerry Killeen, who was on with me earlier on this morning, that's just how it's going to be, and we need to go harder and lock down harder if we're going to get Christmas out of this. And certainly don't believe all you're hearing about the rates. Here's a nice one. I'm a healthcare worker. I was in a rush to work and I left my backpack on top of the trolleys in Bishopstown in the trolley bay. But some kind soul picked it up and brought it into Dunn's, into the girls, and they were brilliant. And they made sure they got it back to me. So thanks to everyone. Yeah, the milk of human kindness. It is still out there. Speaking of which, you might like to support the Mercy Heroes campaign for 2020. We've done a lot with them over the years. Like everything else, it's difficult doing it in 2020, but it is still going ahead. Michal Sheridan from Mercy Hospital Foundation. Hi, Michal. Hey, PJ. Tough old year, uh, difficult to put anything together. So what's different about the Mercy Heroes campaign this year? Uh, Like everything, probably the biggest change is it's gone online. Um, And instead of it being focused around a day, uh, we're asking people to support the campaign across this month, across October. Uh, so it, it's for, for people who might not know, uh, Mercy Heroes is in its uh, fourth or fifth year now. And for the last number of years, we've been supporting um, our paediatric outreach nursing service uh, for children with cancer in Cork. Mm, that's called Poons. Now, tell, tell me a little bit about it. So it's... Um, so effectively, it's a mobile nursing service. So what happens with a child who's diagnosed with cancer in, in Cork. Initially, a lot of the treatment would take place in Crumlin. Everybody would be very familiar with that. But then uh, what happens if uh, children are lucky enough to be in Cork, they benefit from the Poon service. So ultimately, what happens then is their care is transitioned or transferred down to Cork. And if they're a patient in the Mercy, a lot of the time, actually, rather than having to come into hospital, uh, what we do is we fund the mobile element of a service uh, that allows two of our nurses, Peg and Olga, to literally spend their days out on the road uh, going to these, going to the homes of these children and delivering a lot of their care in the child's own home, in their own room or on the, on the couch in front of the TV while they're watching their favourite programme. Which in the course of the pandemic has been particularly important, I think, Michal, because many of these youngsters would have been cocooning since day one, had to be. Oh, hugely. I mean, everybody obviously would know, you know, there's a lot of stories out there around the impact that COVID has had on lots of people who are vulnerable and adults with cancer even, um, and particularly with children. So what we were able to do this year, because we had funding in place, and again, it's probably what's really important for us this year, is that we expanded the service this year, earlier on in the year for COVID, so that 
uh, it meant that we brought more nurses on board and they were able to obviously keep more children out of hospital and away from the risk of COVID. Mm. How what how can people help to raise the money? How, how much have you a target in mind? So every year it costs us about thirty thousand euro to to fund poons. This year it's going to cost probably forty to fifty because we were asked to step up and provide the additional funding to get more nurses out on the road. Uh, last year, Heroes Day raised about ninety thousand euro, which was phenomenal and our biggest year ever. Uh, what we're asking people to do this year is to visit our website uh, to go to mercyfundraising.ie. They'll have the option there to donate either on a one-off donation or they can even become a, a regular donor and donate uh, donate on a monthly basis. Um, or what they can do is if they want, they can set up their own fundraising page and they can come up with fundraising ideas or they can you know, get in touch with us and look for inspiration. So really it's about going to mercyfundraising.ie, making a donation um, or setting up an event or setting up their own page and helping us to... Uh, help Peg and Olga to do more of what they've been doing. Yeah. There's a there's a little video as well featuring Barra and Kumi and Lizzie and Callum and Alex and Connor and Ushin and Olin. Who are they? So they're kids who have been they're they're kids who have cancer and have who've come through a cancer journey, and um, but they're also children who have actually benefited from the service. Um, and I, just so that people get a sense of how how many people the service works with. Last year, for example, the service would have worked with 33 families. So Peg and Olga would have visited. Uh, would have worked last year with 33 families where a child was was going through a, a cancer treatment or had had a, a cancer diagnosis. Um, and with those 33 families, they on average visited each of those families across the year about 20 times. So in 2019, they actually visited family homes 655 times. Um, and that was across the length and breadth of Cork, east to west and, and south to north. So they would have travelled over 33,000 kilometres last year uh, doing their work. And that's we would support we um the, the the nurses are paid for through the system and through the hsc um, and what we do is we with the generosity of people who support mercy heroes we're actually able to keep the service on the road so without funding uh, from likes of mercy heroes and people listening who hopefully will go and, and make a donation online uh, the service wouldn't potentially wouldn't be able to be mobile um and these kids would be uh, having to come back into hospital, which is what we really want to avoid. At a time of of, of huge risk. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, like earlier in the year, I think there was a significant risk for people, um, even just in terms of the community. Look, you guys know better than anybody what the stories that are out there. I think as we're seeing rising numbers um, and risk of community transmission and all of that, I think it's absolutely essential now that uh, little kids like, uh, you know, like Oren and, and Kumi and the likes that they don't have to come near hospital. Yeah. So the, the more funds that are raised, the more kilometres Peg and Olga can cover, the more additional nurses we can right. put in place. If you, we can't, need you can't put a value on that. It, it, it's, that's, you can't possibly put a value on that. It's, it's colossal. Michal, are you concerned on a more overall level with, with, with treatment and diagnoses and other things being affected by the pressures of COVID? Look, I think I think everybody's hearing the stories, even just as a as a, a bystander watching what's happening and, and watching the news and reading the papers and, and listening to the likes of yourselves. You know, it's absolutely clear that there's a problem out there. Um, you know, and I think really what people need to bear in mind is if, if people aren't following government guidelines, aren't wearing masks, aren't washing their hands, aren't keeping their distance, you know, the risk here is that more and more people um, are diagnosed with, with COVID and... You know, when we have kids out in the community and adults in the community, 
uh, people who are vulnerable, who are old, who've got other underlying health conditions. It really is about everybody looking after everybody. It, this isn't, you know, this isn't about looking after one particular group. We have to look after each other um, because, you know, somebody who's diagnosed with, with coronavirus in their 30s, it could have as big a negative impact on their lives going forward as somebody in their 80s or 90s. Mm. People were saying last night after the latest change was made where we now can't do uh, visits to other people's homes with certain exceptions, they were saying, I'm getting tired of this, I'm sick of it, I, 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 I've taken enough, I can take no more. It's, it's an understandable emotion, but you need to put it in context, don't you? Yeah, look, in, in the scheme of things, it, is, it has been a horrendous year for everybody. Um, there's no doubt about it. Either people have been affected economically or, or socially. They haven't been able to visit friends. Um, but also there's a lot of people out there who, who have lost loved ones. Um, you know, and that's really the key here is about trying to make sure that everybody um, is looked after. And, you know, we see firsthand when, when we see staff going in and out of the hospital. It's been an incredibly long year for them. I was even... Slightly taken aback last week, I, I hadn't, I, I had forgotten, you know, that staff in the emergency department in the Mercy are, are in, in full PPE, and that's how it's been all year. Um, and, and really what it's around is, you know, we, we can get through it. If, if it lasts another 12 months in, in our lifetimes, um, it will seem like a blip um, in terms of, you know, our, our, our lives, but it's really important, I think, and uh, everybody's putting out the messages around people um, just looking after each other and, and, and doing what we're asked to do. This thing will end. Um, and, and, you know, we just need to make sure that those that are vulnerable and, and those that are at risk are looked after. All right, Michal, always great to have you on the Opinion Line. Thank you very much. That's Michal Sheridan from the Mercy Hospital Foundation, www.mercyfundraising.ie. If you want to find out more about the, their little youngest uh, Mercy Heroes campaign, the, the, the young, that video was lovely. I meant to get a copy of the audio but I don't have it with me but the the video is lovely and they're just asking for your support for the Poons service and this is where young kids with cancer think about it now, youngsters with cancer and chemo and all the things that they just massacre the immune system so these little kids have been cocooning all year they probably haven't been outside the door, let alone go on play dates, let alone go to school some of these kids haven't been outside the door and these two wonderful nurses bring to them the services that they would other have to otherwise have to go out into hospital for and in danger and in at risk from COVID nineteen. So if you want to help the twenty twenty Mercy Heroes campaign, go on that website and check it all out. And you can contact also you can contact Deirdre on O eight five eight seven four five four eight nine. That's O eight five eight seven four five four eight nine. It's really important we continue our efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. New government guidelines have now made mask wearing mandatory in shops, supermarkets, shopping centres and on public transport. Retail staff must also wear a mask unless there's a two metre distance or a partition. Disposable masks should only be worn once. Cloth masks should be washed daily and multiple masks should be used in rotation. If a mask becomes damp or wet, it's no longer effective and should be changed. Remember, when touching your mask, Wash or sanitize your hands. Help stop the spread of coronavirus and stay safe. I've been trying to keep my distance. Keep up to date with the latest COVID-19 information at 96fm.ie. Reminding you to join Trevor Welsh on 96fm.ie this Saturday. 
for Premier League Live. Another long day for Trevor, exclusively online and powered by TalkSport. This Saturday, Everton versus Liverpool, the Merseyside Derby at 12.30. Chelsea against Southampton, 3. Man City v Arsenal at 5.30. Newcastle versus Man U at 8. The Premier League Live online. Listen every Saturday. Just download the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. I promised <laughs> that I'd give you good news from the pandemic. Well, this is good news as far as I'm concerned anyway. You see, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here is being moved this year from the banana plantation that doubles as jungle to Welsh Wales, to a castle in Welsh Wales uh, because of COVID-19. And now the Welsh government has said that it won't let anybody in from England as part of the COVID-19 restrictions. So it means that some of the... celebrities, for want of a better word, won't be able to get into the castle. Which means that I'm a celebrity. Could hit the skids! Yes! 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 Calm yourself. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.